please refrain from using electronic devices throughout the duration of chapel. It's a distraction to others, yourself, and it's disrespectful for everyone in our speaker. This morning we will hear from Dr. James Brenneman, the 16th president of Goshen College. He has served as Goshen's president since 2006. He's a credentialed minister in the Mennonite Church, and he's committed to embracing and finding strength in diversity. He will be speaking on the importance of being silent and listening to the world. We light a light symbolizing Christ's presence where two or three are gathered, and Christ is indeed present with us now. Join me for a time of prayer. God of community, three diverse forms yet one, grant us the silence to listen, the patience to see, and the love to embrace. May we hear you in the words of another. May we see you in the face of a friend. May we feel you in the hand of a stranger. Give us ears to listen, eyes to see, and hands for holding. Amen. Please stand and turn in your sing the journeys to number 142 for a call to worship. Okay, we'll, uh, 142 in the green book, I'll read the leader part, and then you read the all part, and then afterwards we'll pass the piece. God of all nations, your love is without limit and without end. Enlarge our vision of your redeeming purpose for all people by the example of your Son, Make us ready to serve the needs of the whole world. May neither pride of race nor hardness of heart make us despise any for whom Christ died or injure in any whom Christ lives. Through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go ahead and pass the peace.
Please stand and turn into your Sing the Journey book to number 42. you just hear that? The very first time I heard, take me to the church, I stopped 
and listen. I knew I was hearing a lyrical and musical tour de force. Never mind Katy Perry, Bruno Mars, Taylor Swift. I could only stop and listen to the power of the song and the lyrics. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at a shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins. You can sharpen your knife. Offer me that deathless death. Good God, let me give you my life. Believe it or not, I know the words. I know all of the words of the song. I've listened and listened and listened to the song. I've seen the video. I've read and listened to interviews with Andrew Hoser Byrne, an Irish singer in the mold of Bono, the author and singer of the song. By his own admission, Hoser purposely borrowed sacred words for his secular hymn to provoke the majority Christianized culture to think again about big doctrines like original sin and sexual exclusion in the church. At a minimum, on the 70th anniversary of Auschwitz, that is the liberation of Auschwitz, where the Nazis annihilated Jews and homosexuals and pacifists and Jehovah's Witnesses and gypsies, the disabled, and anyone who dared help them, Hozier's song and his video decries violence against people just for being who they are or for believing what they do. But let's dig a little deeper. In borrowing and mixing sacred and sexual imagery to tell a truth, Hozier is really not that novel. In fact, the prophet Hosea in the Bible, eight centuries before Christ, mixed the sacred language of his day with the sexual imagery of Baal worship to speak of profound intimacy between God and God's people, Israel. Believe me, it was provocative then, just as it is provocative now. In a far deeper sense, to those with ears to hear, Hosier's haunting voice and lyrics touch a primal, God-given nerve. If we listen carefully, we might even conclude that Take Me to the Church most profoundly evokes the human desire to be loved intimately and to love in return by God and others. To love and be loved, as one great prophet said in the New Testament, with all one's heart, all one's mind, all one's body, all one's soul, and all one's strength, alluding to Deuteronomy 6, which says very similar things. Let me cut to the chase. It's my sincere hope that after this short time together today, we will be reminded again that when we encounter a person different than ourselves, someone with a different accent, different food taste, a different cultural norm, when we encounter truth claims of a religion different than our own, perhaps even a provocatively pagan idea or an irreverent song lyric or a boundary-pushing artist, I hope our first impulse will not be to shudder, laugh, slam, criticize, or roll our eyes, or even that little snicker that one of the poets among you uh, suggested when her mother and father had an accent and would see someone just slightly snicker that they couldn't pronounce the words correctly.
I hope that's not who we are. I hope first and above all, we will listen, stop, shut up, and listen. The first imperative, the first requirement, the first commandment of being a global citizen, especially a Christ-centered global citizen, is simply this. It's the word Shema in Hebrew, which means hear or listen exclamation point in Deuteronomy 6.4. It is the most central theological uh, Bible verse in the Hebrew Bible, in all of their Bible. It's the most important text. It's the positive version of the negative way of saying the first commandment. It's said by Jews when they get up in prayer, when they go to bed. It's bound to the forehead and their arms in prayer. It's on their doorposts. It's the last words recited before they die. Shema, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It first means stop and Shema, stop and listen. For the church, for any church or church institution, especially a church-related liberal arts college, a valuable, as valuable as our particular stories and narratives and belief systems are, we must always be aware that voices outside these systems or minority voices within our particular story-shaped confession of faith also belong to God. God speaks in many ways across time and space and confessional communities. The question is, are we listening? Especially so when we hear questions about what we believe in to be true. How well are we listening to alternative points of view, really and truly listening? For example, what does it mean that the biblical prophet Isaiah does the audaciously audaciously crazy thing, and calls Cyrus the Great, the king of the greatest empire of his day, the Persian Empire, I think a world leader like the President of the United States, only more imperial, more ruthless, more cunning, and undemocratically elected. Cyrus the Great, Isaiah calls nothing, nothing less than the Messiah, the Christ. Even Jesus, much later was a peace-loving Jew. Cyrus was neither peace-loving nor Jewish. And yet, God through God's prophets called both Messiah, the Christ. And then there's the prophet Amos, who dared to suggest that other nations and other people groups besides Israel were also led by God out of, out of their own exodus experiences. Few Christians today would allow such an expansive interpretation who may, as to who may be considered in and out of God's kingdom. Listening to others of different, uh, that are very different than ourselves will sometimes mean we will hear truths that break through our sometimes narrowly defined narratives and stories and experiences. Listening to others' accounts of, of faith or truth claims may have, a, have the effect of cutting through the dogmas of time and history that have sometimes reduced God's great truths to little slivers of yours, mine, and our truth possessions. Truth be told, Christianity expanded as it did from a primarily Jewish sectarian movement to an expansive faith spread far and wide. Why? 
because those first Jewish believers, believing against the grain, found the truth outside the bounds of their faith in what their peers seemed blasphemous, unorthodox, heretical, and untrue, that in the man Jesus, God was revealed. How crazy is that? Then, as it is now, sometimes it may feel just that crazy for us to discover truths more deeply truthful than out, from outside our faith traditions than from inside. Can we, for example, hear truth speaking in ways that are not politically correct to our own ears? Do Republicans or speak, people who speak of revival or high church people or Pentecostals or veterans or patriarchs or feminists or Buddhists or atheists have anything at all to teach those of us who are inside the church and vice versa? Is it possible that ethical practices, pillars of faith, and mystical insights of non-Christian people groups offer truthful narratives for living a flourishing life? Can science, can music, can Greek mythology, and say an art masterpiece bear the load of real, honest-to-God, capital T, truth claims about life as we know it, life as it can be, life as it is, life ever after. The first time I visited Washington, D.C., I did so on my way home. I was a first year here at Goshen College, and I got in my car and drove through D.C., and I stopped at the National Gallery of Art. And there I found myself standing in an immense gallery surrounded by four huge mid-19th century masterpieces of the American painter Thomas Cole. You really have to be there to experience it. It is one room with ma his massive paintings, only four of them, one on each wall. So you're completely surrounded by his series called The Voyage of Life. One painting for each stage of life, childhood, youth, adulthood, and old age. And I'll never forget that moment when I was standing there in the center of that room, surrounded by these masterpieces of paintings. I was utterly speechless. I stood there in awe, overwhelmed by the experience. Standing in that room, I saw my whole life laid out before and in front of me in a deep and visceral way that I had never known before up until that point. I was young after all. What did I know of life to come? And there it was laid out. My, my life was placed in profound perspective that was as illuminating to me as a prophetic utterance in Scripture. I learned that day, though did not yet have the words to signify what I was feeling, that the artist's brush falls under the reign of God. I also encountered that day art criticism in its most profound sense. Only much later, while I was reading C.S. Lewis's book, An Experiment in Criticism, did I truly understand what happened to me that day. Though the primary purpose of Lewis writing his book was that we would read books over and over and over again to really get at them, his words about great art rang true to me. He said, we sit down before the picture or object of art in order to have something done in order to have something done to us. Not that we do things to it first, 
The first demand, he says, of any art makes upon us is that we surrender to it. We look, we listen, we receive. Get yourself out of the way, he says. There's no good asking first whether the work before you deserves such a surrender, for until you have surrendered, you cannot possibly find out. Art criticism, to be truly meaningful, according to Lewis, never begins with critique. It begins with surrender. If you leap into criticism too early about anything, you, have met, you may have disobeyed the first commandment, the Shema, to listen. In the presence of, God, of great art, Lewis says, Shema, listen, receive. I just saw a, a quote this morning, in fact, that said the biggest communication problem is we do not listen to understand, we listen to reply. When I was in graduate school and seminars, one of my Old Testament professors, when we would do book reviews in the seminar, and we came in and we were to review a book, he never allowed us to criticize it for the first 25 minutes. We had to so thoroughly ingest and digest and to make the best arguments, the positive arguments about what that author was saying before we even had the right to offer a critique. If that's true of a great piece of art or a book, how much more true is it when we encounter the artist, or the author, or the scientist, or the Catholic, or the Mennonite, or the veteran, or the Democrat, or the gay or lesbian person, the Jew, the Palestinian, the African American, the Indian, the Asian, the saint, or the sinner? If the first demand of a great work of art makes, that makes on us is to listen, if the first commandment from scripture is the Shema, then the first command of a global citizen must also certainly be stop and listen. But what I love about this short little tiny text is that it also provides context and content and meaning to our listening. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen, O Goshen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is to say, around and among and behind and under and above and all around our many stories, our narratives, our hues, our languages, our differences, there is an underlying integrity to reality. Even though sometimes, in fact, even though most times it feels like the center does not hold, as the poet said, even though sometimes our many wonderful differences get sliced and diced into even narrower differences within differences within differences within differences that get so confusing you don't even know how to sort things out at times, even not at that, at base, there remains a deeply unifying reality that holds all these differences together. This integrity to reality does not obliterate those differences in some oppressive silencing power play as so often happens. Instead, it allows us to relish in our differences, to listen with abandon to one another, to worry less about being the same or having all of our boundaries clearly marked. In biblical language, 
This integrity to reality is simply said over and over when you, when you go to bed, when you get up, you put it on your arms, you put it on your forehead, you put it on your doorpost, before you die, you say over and over and over, in spite of all our differences, in spite of the confusions that we all experience, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and can hold it together. What such a biblical faith claim un underscores is that even the Judeo-Christian faith is but a subset, albeit a profound subset, of God's expansive domain, God's rule over creation. In this very real sense, God's creation, as creation, is and must always be first and foremost a prophetic critique of all would-be more narrowly tuned faith traditions that would too closely rein in God's ultimate reign. A Christ-centered global citizen will not only listen first, but will also seek to discover truth in every encounter with the secular and sacred universalizing reign of God. And in the written version of this, I go on and on and on and on, but for our sake today, I'm keeping it to all the time allotted. You can maybe go online and read the rest of it. That's it pretty much, folks. At Goshen College, we've expressed the core value, global citizenship, in primarily two ways. At the beginning of the year, I spoke of global citizens as becoming citizens of the earth and sky, emphasizing our commitment to sustainability and creation care. Today, I've highlighted the more common way we speak of becoming global citizens around here as fostering intercultural openness between people of differing worldviews, religious faiths, experiences, and ethnicities. I close simply with two short vignettes about three individuals worthy of the name Global Citizen. Each of them, when it mattered most, literally laid down their lives for someone else whose faith, ethnic identity, religious perspective, cultural ethos, and social class was distinctly different than their own. Last Friday, I visited the U.S. National Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. on the 70th anniversary of the liberation of prisoners held in Nazi concentration camps in Auschwitz. I was escorted through a special exhibit by a survivor of Auschwitz. He told me an amazing story of a shoe cobbler named Rashad Prezerini and his 17-year-old apprentice living in Albania at the time of the Nazi takeover. At great risk to his family, Rashad hid the Jewish family in his shop for nearly a month, and then under cover of darkness, his apprentice, a young 17-year-old, Rafik, escorted them into the mountainous woods and hid with them until the Allied liberation of the country in 1944. What makes this story so uniquely compelling was that both Rashad and Rafik were devout Muslims. When asked later why he risked his life for Jews, this 17-year-old Rafiq simply said, the Quran teaches that whoever saves one innocent life acts as if he saved the whole world. I made a besa, for those of you who know Arabic, I made a promise and I kept it. Rashad and Rafiq looked beyond the religious and ethnic differences to do the right thing and were given Yad Vashem's Righteous Among the Nations Award for their bravery. And then I, then I couldn't help but thinking of Goshen College student, 
Just think of yourself. She was your age. Lois, Lois Gundon was her name. In 1936, she left and traveled abroad to work in an orphanage on the border. This was right after graduation. Someone sitting here that would have been sitting here just like you. Right after graduation, she went to serve in an orphanage at the border of Spain and France. And there, while she was there, the Nazis invaded uh, France and little Jewish children, orphans, whose parents were taken from them, went across the border to this, this orphanage where, Ruth Gun, I mean, where Lois Gundon was. And she had to make these very difficult decisions when the police came to the door. What would she do in this situation? Her life was at stake when the Nazis came, and yet she, she uh, preserved their lives at risk to her own. In fact, she was caught and interred, and only later was she released in a prisoner swap with the United States. She later taught French here for many years at, here at Goshen College. She too was recognized posthumously just a year ago or so as one of the only two Americans to receive Israel's Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial, Righteous Among the Nations. Each one of these Righteous Among the Nations beautifully illustrates the heart and soul of a global citizen. Their different culture, religious, and ethnic identities at one level made every difference to them, yet in a more profound sense than ever made no difference at all when it came to doing the right thing for another fellow human being in need of protection. And that's creation theology at its best. Under the one God, the will to listen, to learn, and to love another human being, even upon pain of death to save them, is true religion indeed. May our prayers be this day and every day that we too, when given the choice in small ways and large, will choose to become such honorable and global citizens. This means this is meant as much for me as for any of you. Thanks for listening. As a response to Jim's message, we invite you into a time of prayer and silence. Now what I'm going to invite you to do might feel a little bit weird. That's okay. We're a bit different around here. I grew up in a small rural church in southwestern Pennsylvania. And as a kid, I remember that there were times our preachers would invite us to pray. But our body posture was very different than what we normally did. He invited us to kneel down and turn around and face the back of the pews that we were sitting on. So for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and I'm going to invite you to do that, a body posture prayer, to kneel down where you're at, kind of turn around and face the back of the pew. So I'll invite you to do that now. Let us pray together in prayer and silence. Sovereign creator of earth and sky, Savior always with us, spirit sweeping over the waters, 
Renew our hearts today. Surround us with grace. Fill us with wonder and awe. O God, who called all life into being, the earth, the sea, and the sky, your presence is all around us. Every atom is full of your energy. Enable us to listen to your truth as we now pause to consider the wonders of your creative expressions in the form of solar systems, atoms, trees, and other science wonders. O God, who created not only natural beauty around us, but you who created people who are able to express beauty in the forms of paintings, drawings, pottery, sculpture, and other art. Enable us to listen to your truth as we now pause to consider the artistic abilities of humanity. O God, who created not only the sounds of the birds of the air and the mooing of cows, you created people who can make music, all kinds of music. Enable us to listen to your truth as we now pause to consider the many, many different musical expressions and genres. O oh God, your spirit enlivens all who walk the earth. Enable us to listen to your truth as we now pause to consider your creative expressions in the form of diverse peoples and diverse cultures. Transforming God, you come to us in expected and unexpected ways, desiring to be made known yet remaining a mystery. Make your presence known among us. Help us to listen. Help us to listen. Amen. I invite you to rise and turn to number 59 in Sing the Journey. Number 59 in Sing the Journey as we continue to pray. the same book, turn to number 76. The Lord bless you and keep you. 76. And hear these words. May you go into the world finding God in the space that you create through listening. May you go aware of God's love for you and for all people. And may you treat each person as a beloved child of God.